You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on episode 207 of Wheel Bearings, we drive the Acura MDX A-Spec, the Jeep Wrangler 4xe, the Audi e-tron GT, the 2021 Genesis GV80, G70, and the 2021 Honda Santa Fe. We also talk about President Biden's executive order on electric vehicles, the Detroit Smart Parking Lab, road tripping in an EV, and the cancellation of the New York Auto Show. All coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 207 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu Al Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakelin. Uh, we'll go with True Car this week. And I am Roberto Baldwin. We're going to say Kelly Blue Book. Ooh. Ooh, a new one. A new one, yeah. I, ha- I haven't actually written the, the words that are due, but they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we have to edit that out shortly. No. Well, maybe by the time this is posted, they'll, they'll be written. I think so. I think, yeah. Good. I think they'll be written by then. I have like five days. All right. Okay. Nicole, why don't you go first? What did you drive? All the cars. Just Ooh, all of them. All the cars. All the cars. Excellent. Okay, but I stuck with one brand. I um, I drove actually four. Sort of. Four. I'm going to talk about three. One I'm going to hold for next week. Uh, we'll start with the 2021 Hyundai Santa Fe 2.5 turbo all-wheel drive calligraphy, uh, which is the fancy schmancy Ooh. new trim level of the Santa Fe. And it is, in fact, really fancy. Like, it's absolutely beautiful inside. I, I've said this about the Hyundai brand before, but they pack so much into a vehicle for such an amazing price that when you look at the sticker, you're like, wait, 
this is clearly a typo. This belongs on a different trim level that's like two down from this. So the car I was driving was $43,000, which isn't like it's like cheapy cheap, but it's not outrageous expensive. So it's 43, actually 43,430 as a 2.5 liter turbo four cylinder that is new. That's a new engine this year uh, with an eight speed dual clutch, 277 horsepower, 311 pound feet of torque. It has... So that's new. It has an updated interior, an updated exterior. It's not an all new because it has kind of refreshed stuff, but it feels very different. It, it looks just came fantastic. out a couple of years ago. Yeah. So it's not technically an all new, but I mean, it's got new engines, new outside look, new inside look. So it's not technically all new, but it's a heck of a lot of new. <laughs> I guess I'll say it that okay. way. Um, a lot of new. Um and it, it, I mean, this is a mid-sized crossover, five passengers. It's very roomy. My husband is six foot three, so he's my test case for all you tall folks out there. And I have him move the front seat back to where he's really super comfortable and then try to get him to sit behind that front seat. He can do that no problem. Like he could, It's not even like it's close and he's thinking, gosh, if I move my feet two inches, my knees are going to smack the seats. No, it's really roomy. You can put two six-footers front and back to each other. So it's surprisingly roomy inside. has a lot of room for cargo. I think it's just about 72 uh, cubic feet, give or take, of cargo room. So you can put a ton of cargo inside there. And the interior of it is stunning. Like if you're familiar with the Palisade, you know, how the, the, the Palisade sort of elevated Hyundai even like it was so, it looks so good inside. Not that their other vehicles di didn't, but the Palisade looks amazing. This is like Palisade level. Like it feels like they're like, okay, Palisade did really well. Let's, let's try and copy that with what we're going to do with the not quite all new Santa Fe. Uh, and I feel like they did it. it. It is roomy. It is comfortable. It is nice to drive. Uh, it's a very, it's responsive, but it's not a sporty car. It doesn't have that aggression that some truly sporty cars do, but it's still, it's got 277 horsepower. It's a turbocharged engine. It moves. You hit the gas, it gets out of its own way. So I enjoyed driving this and I I think that it's the interior. It's got like Napa leather. I mean, this calligraphy edition is crazy. It's so pretty that it makes me nervous. Like if I had kids I was putting in this that were little, I'd be like, oh God, oh God, what are they going to do that leather? Oh God, please don't eat your mandarin oranges from Wendy's on these seats because who knows what it's going to do to the leather. Uh, but it was, I like this car. I like Hyundai's. I think they do a good job. So this is that new calligraphy edition. If you're looking for that upscale, truly an upscale not quite luxury, but really kind of close to it. Uh, the Santa Fe does it in this trim. And for $43,000, if you go to a real honest to God luxury brand, you aren't going to get it for $43,000. And even if you do get it for 43, it's going to be stripped down to have all the, the, the worst interiors that luxury car offers. So it's not actually going to feel as nice or look as nice as this one does inside. No. Um, and you know, does it actually have any calligraphy in it? Did it have calligraphy? I don't think it did. That's a good question. I don't think it did. I feel like somewhere, oh, I should have looked at like the badge on the back. Was it written like oh. in fancy script? Like what's the one that does that? Who does that? The Buick, um, their Avenir trim. You know, the Avenir, Avenir. That, Avenir those words yeah. are written in kind of this fancy script. But no, it, it does not actually have calligraphy, which I guess is a bit of a disappointment. Are they, is that false advertising now, Sam? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, Infinity has, you know, the autograph trim levels and, you know, they don't actually have any autographs on the car. So, <laughs> you know, it's par for the course, I guess, for the A industry. But, you know, I guess <laughs> it's just random you know, autographs. You know, every, everybody's got everybody's got limited and platinum. So, you know, I think they wanted to come up with something different, you know, to set them apart, you know, as their, their premium trim level. It's, you know, it's interesting that, 
um, you know, Santa Fe is, is getting up to this level of, you know, kind of that price point and that level, a degree of luxury that, you know, a decade ago, you know, the Genesis, the original Genesis sedan yes. was kind of barely hitting that level. Right. And now you're doing that with, with the Santa Fe and you've got Genesis on top of that. Um, so, you know, I think I haven't driven the, the refreshed um, Santa Fe yet, but the last one I drove with the, the two liter turbo, you know, which has now been replaced by that two five was, was really impressive. You mentioned it's got the DCT, the dual clutch transmission. That, is that yeah. right? I believe it's an eight speed dual clutch. I thought that's what I saw in there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cause they had, they had an eight speed before, um, but it was a stand, a regular automatic transmission. I didn't realize they were putting the dual clutch. Hopefully I'm not lying to you. I thought one. that's what I saw. No, uh, that, that could be. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they were doing that. Because that's, that's a new transmission this year that they also have in the, the Veloster N um, and I think in a couple of other models as well. So Yeah, no, it's, um, it was a great cool. It really was a great car to drive. I, I, I've, when you're talking about Hyundais being, you know, the 10 years old and, and they were different, they were so very different 10 years ago. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's funny because they, what's, the last time I checked and this numbers could have changed, the average age of a car in American roads was like 11 years old. Most people kept their cars for 11 years. I think it's about 12 now. Is it about 12 now? Okay. So it's changed slightly. So you think about that. If you're, if the average person has kept their car for 12 years, their impression of what Hyundai is, is 110% wrong. Like in every way, shape and form. So I feel like I'm always trying to convince people like when they're like, oh, what car should I get for whatever, like friends even that, you know, they're, they're actually going to listen to what I'm saying. And I'm like, you guys, you should check out the Hyundai. They're like, oh, I'm like, no, 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 no. You haven't been in one in a decade. Go check just it out. Go. Honest to God, you just got to trust me on this. You're going to be impressed with this because they are, they are so much better in every way than they were back then. Um, I, I wish more people would give them a chance because they are much better vehicles than they were once upon a time. Yeah, it's always that's it's and the same a, is also yeah. true for for Kia, uh, yes. their sister brand. Oh, and by the is, way, I which just is a completely t- different company. Yes, not even really close. <laughs> so I double checked. So Sam, the oh. I just pulled up the specs. So the eight speed dual clutch is what's on the two point five turbo. Okay. It's just they have an eight speed, just an eight speed on the two five liter, the non turbocharged, yeah. and then they have a six okay. speed on the hybrid. So yeah, it's just on the two point five turbo that it gets the dual clutch. Cool. Okay. All right. What, what about the one. other two cars? Okay, here? I have all these papers. Ready? Okay. Oh. Car. Yeah, because I had to take notes because there's so many cars. Okay. Too car number cars. two. So we were mentioning that Hyundai also has another brand um, that is somewhat upscale in nature. Genesis. That's exactly what I was driving. Uh, so I had the 21 Genesis GV80, which is their SUV. Um, And much like Hyundai makes their sort of mass market, not technically luxury cars, feel like luxury cars, this Genesis feels like a much higher end luxury car. It looks it when you see it sitting there. It when you open the door, the materials in this thing are absolutely stunning. The way it rides, the quietness of it, it has that luxury cars always kind of float, unless it's like truly a performance car. There's this floatiness to them, like oh, that wasn't a bump. It was just like a little wave in the road that you're going over. Like there's this floatiness, like we are going to keep you so comfortable. You're not quite going to be sure what's under your wheels, but it's not going to be harsh and it's not going to bother you. You're just going to comfortably float along the highway. That's what this does. Supple. Supple. I like that. That works. Supple. Uh, So that is what you get when you drive the GV80. This is 
a bit more expensive than our Hyundai Santa Fe. It is $72,375. Uh, but you are getting, again, you're getting an eight-speed automatic, a 2.5-liter four-cylinder. I forgot to write the horsepower because I have an incomplete Monroney. But it is an aggressive vehicle. This one feels like it has that power. It has that sort of power when you hit the, the accelerator. Instead of suddenly it throws you back in your seat and you have like, oof, this is a performance car. Here we go. It, it takes you there quickly, but very in this sort of, I always like the word to say well-mannered. It's not going to disturb the passengers. It's not going to make your coffee slosh out of the cup holder if you forgot to put your lid on your coffee. It's very well-mannered in everything it does. But mostly the thing about this is it feels every bit the luxury car. The look of the materials, the feel of the materials. They have these seats and I'm trying to find it. And of course, because I'm trying to find it and um, I'm live on the air now, I can't find it. But their seats do this like a the thing where they... The bolsters, like, you know, the active bolstering that comes in to hold you on the corners, like on side, it's not really active bolstering. It's active, like you're going faster. We're just going to hold you in place and you're not even going to know it. Cause then all of a sudden you break and you feel the bolsters release and you don't even realize that they were getting tighter. It just is like, oh, oh you're slowing down. We'll relax now. Um, so, it, I mean, it has feature. It has so many features. This is ridiculously long list. There's perforated leather, leather inserts. There's contrast stitching. There's like this pattern to everything. There's leather, quilted leather, like on the doors. There's all these metal trims. Even the covers on the speakers are just beautiful. Everything about this car is beautiful. It looks like a luxury car. And again, it's $72,000. It's not cheap. But you feel like you're sitting in more than $72,000. You feel like you're sitting in something that's at least ten grand more than that. Um, and then there's like these premium features. It has this unbelievable audio system. So you miss me going through the neighborhood this afternoon, coming back to do the podcast with the sunroof open because beautiful day in New Hampshire. And it happened to be like this very gangsta stuff. And I am not that girl, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm enjoying this audio system bouncing through <laughs> the neighborhood. Um, it is a really beautiful, powerful, and every bit of luxury car. Again, it's just like the Hyundai, the Genesis thing is the same thing. You get more bang for your buck than you do in other brands, like at, no matter what the trim level. And this was the prestige. Did you, does, did the one you have had, have the, um, uh, the 3D display, the instrument cluster display? Yes. Oh, it did. It had the, and it looks, have you seen that, Sam, on another car? Yeah, I drove it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So the 3D say, okay, you know what it made me think of? It totally made me think of Tron. That's all I could think of looking at it. Like something about the blue <laughs> and the way the colors. I'm like, I, all I could think of was Tron. I'm like, this is like Tron, but it's not a video game. It's actually the car I'm driving. Um, it was, <laughs> that's all it looked like. If you see it in Roberto, you're going to look at it and go, oh my gosh, Nicole's totally right. Tron on the dashboard. Yeah. So it's really neat. Yeah, like you kind of right. want to look at it and you think to yourself, like I actually moved my sunglasses. Like, is, are my sunglasses doing? No, it really still looks. 3d even if i'm just staring straight at it so it's very cool that's again a part of yeah, the whole luxury thing yeah it's a part of the luxury thing like is it necessary do you need that no but does it make it feel like you're driving something that's a little special a little different like you're you're a level above everybody else yeah it makes it feel like you're driving something that's worth the price it's it's little details like that that make a luxury car feel special and feel luxurious and that's one of them yeah that 3d cluster is cool speaking of details yes what about the uh the infotainment controller oh i had a hard time with it 
I was trying. Um, here's the funnier part. My daughter got in the car for a hot minute. Don't get mad at me, Genesis, because she had to move the car because it blocked her in and I wasn't home. So she couldn't, she looked at it and saw the, and she's like, what, which one of these changes the gears and which one of these, what? Because there's the dial that has, you know, park, reverse, neutral. That's a spinny one. And then there's the dial for the infotainment. She said she initially saw the letters for the, you know, for the gears. And she's like, I'm spinning the info, David. She's like, nothing's, nothing's happened. Wait, it's the other one. <laughs> like she oh. was confused for a second. <laughs> like that was the instructions for the wheel for the right. She's like, I don't understand. There's too many yeah. little round dials here. What's happening? It is a little. I don't know. What do you think, Sam? Did you like the little spinny dial? You know, I, a- I generally don't mind uh, rotary controllers like that, but that particular implementation, you know, like I said before. The the knurling that they put on that outer perimeter, I think, does not give my does not give my fingers quite enough traction. So you have to press down hard enough to to get it to turn. That you often end up clicking it by mistake because it also clicks. You know, so if you press right. on, you know, the three three six nine twelve o'clock positions, you know, it it acts as a like a D pad as well. Yeah. So if you press too hard to get it to turn you end up clicking it at the same time and end up clicking on the wrong thing. A hundred percent. I found the and same thing. What I tried to do is what I found myself doing. I could, like you said, I couldn't quite get, there wasn't enough knurling on there to get the, to grab it. Like I just couldn't grab it with the ball, like the yeah. pad of my fingers. I kept using my nails. Like if I put my finger down, so, cause oh girl, I have pretty nails. Um, if I use my nails, then I could grab it. I'm like, I don't want to be grabbing this with the tip of my nail all the time, but that was the only way that I felt like I could really, get it is if I kind of put my nail against it, then I had enough traction. So it is something about that is just a little hard to use. Like the idea of it is cool. Yeah. For, for that, for that particular surface on all the other controls that have the same texturing yeah. on there, I think it works really well. It, it feels, it feels really good and it feels precision, you know, like a precise piece of hardware, but mm-hmm. just on that one particular control, it doesn't yeah, work. Something, something's not quite right about it because, yeah, when I just tried to spin it with my finger, I just couldn't spin it with the pad of my finger. It just wouldn't – I couldn't get it to grab the way I wanted to. But when I tip my finger down so my nail kind of caught it a little bit, then then I could yeah. pull it. I'm like, that's clearly not what you should be doing. I mean, you shouldn't have to have nails to, to get that to feel like you have a good grip on that. So, yeah, there is a little something weird about that texture. I don't know if it needs to be just a little bit deeper maybe or not quite as – like it's, it's very fine. Like they're tiny little – you know, it's a very fine mesh. Maybe it needs to be a little bit larger so that there's more bump to it. But I agree. It was a little bit yeah. awkward. Was was not super keen on that. Have you driven any of the, the newer Genesis's? Genesis's? Genesis, the Genesize? Uh, yeah, with the, with the weird the, the wheel. It's, it is weird. It's, yeah. it's a, sort of a weird uh, situation. I feel like there's so much going for the car, and then you have this really odd infotainment system control that you're like, oh. It's like, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's odd. I feel like infotainment controls are the okay. things that most let me down in a car. Like, I can forgive a lot, and there's a lot of things you're like, oh, that's not great, uh, but I'm fine. But the infotainment, like, why why can't automakers just say, like, this is what we're doing. Everyone seems to like it this way. Stop messing with it. Just make it easy. Make it simple. Make it clean. It doesn't need to be this fancy, like, ours is better. No, it's not. It's more confusing. Just leave it alone. Stop messing. Stop reinventing the wheel. Leave it alone. 
the irony is that the Hyundai setup is just like, here's a tablet, essentially, and we just mm-hmm. make it look nicer, and you yeah. just stab it like you do your tablet, and you're like, oh, this is one of the best infotainment systems on the market, because they didn't try to do anything crazy. Yes. <laughs> and then I the can Genesis just touch line. The yeah, then the Genesis yeah. line, you have this, like, weird, yeah. Well, I do reach out, I'm like, wait, can I still touch the screen? Okay, here we go. <laughs> like, yeah. Because the little spinny knob was just not, it was not, it, that was, yeah, not a fan yeah. of the spinny knob. And I have one more. Are All you right. ready for the last one? <gasps> Another one. I have one more. Guess so many who cars. made this one? Guess who? Uh, Guess who? Uh, Lada. Uh, was it no. to Honda? No, I'm staying on theme, you guys. It's another Genesis. Oh, Daihatsu. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had the Genesis G70, uh, which is my favorite of the lot, honestly. Uh, I'm done. It was my favoritist. I had it for a weekend. I was uh, in Milwaukee. I drove it from Chicago to Milwaukee and then tooled around Milwaukee for the weekend and then drove it back to Chicago. So I actually had a a pretty good drive in it, like a decent long drive. I can honestly say I can't remember the last time I drove a car that far. It's like an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes with the traffic and stuff that we hit. I'd even feel like I've been driving for that long. Like you normally know you've been driving for that long. You're like, okay, I, I need to get out of the car now. I'd like to get out for just a little bit. Nope. One of the most comfortable sedan rides ever in a car uh, across the absolutely terrible pavement that they have from Chicago to Milwaukee. <laughs> it's like if you're not careful, you feel like it could swallow your whole tire, yet you won't feel it. You'll just because it nothing, none of the roughness and the bounciness and the harshness of the road ever comes through. Super, super comfortable ride. Uh, very, very comfortable. A beautiful interior. The back seat is tight, though. Uh, again, six foot husband, uh, five foot eight daughter said, "No, I'm going to sit behind you, mom," because she couldn't get in the car behind oh. him. There was literally like no leg room behind him when he had the seat pushed back. So if you have taller people, you're not going to be able to fit anyone in the rear seats. Once she was back there behind me, she was fine. Um, so that was my the one criticism of that was that it is. Um, it's got tight leg room and it has a really aggressive, here's a weird one, the lane keep assist, you know, to keep you in your lane, how it, you know, it'll, ba- mm-hmm. you know, you feel push the wheel a little bit. It was getting super confused because they're doing lots of construction. So where you have that pavement where it's, I guess it's like cement. So you can see the seams between the pieces and between the lanes, there's like a seam. As we're changing lanes because they've painted new lanes, because now we're all shifting half a lane to the right, it's grabbing that seam from the pavement and throwing me back to the left. It was Uh, enough that I actually turned it off because my husband was like, what is, is it windy? I'm like, it is not windy. The the car is fighting me because it's not reading the lanes right because it's not following the construction. So then I'm driving, I'm like, find this in the infotainment system because you can turn it off in there. That's where you can, you know, with the driver settings. It was super aggressive. It was having none of it. It was like, I will decide what the lane is. I'm like, no, 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 no. I think the DPW will. Please don't, <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, so that was my, that was probably yeah, the, my I mean, biggest challenge with that. I literally had to turn it off. It was so aggressive. Yeah. The, the Hyundai and Genesis uh, highway drive assist system, their lane centering system generally works really well. But yeah, like you said, the, the situation you described where you've got two separate indications of where the lane might be and the system is clearly getting confused and picking the wrong one you mm-hmm. know that's that's a real problem and that you know that that's something that you know all of these types of systems are going to have to deal with i have to try out uh 
um, something with Super Cruise or, or Ford's Blue Cruise there one of these days as well and see what it does. They, they're doing a construction um, near my house on uh, Interstate 80. And Super Cruise got confused by it because they Did kept it? it kept moving. The, the lanes kept moving. Like every night, it'd be a little bit over, or a little bit this way, or a little bit that way. And they had like the little uh, these like essentially like stickers that they had put yeah. up for it. And it was just like uh, I'm I'm supposed to be over here because the you know the map tells me to be over here, but this is telling me to be over here, and the walls right here. So maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, there was. It was, it was, it, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like super, uh, aggressive about it, but it was, I was like, I, I, I gotta take over. This is, yeah, this is it's, my jam. It's one of those things you think you're like, okay, it, you know, the, the technology is great, but it's not as if, I don't know where everybody else, but like here, there's construction all the time. Unless there's snow on the ground, there's construction happening here and your lanes are changing and you've got those little sticky markers on the lane and then they peel up the sticky markers and then you have like a black mark where the sticky markers were and the actual original lane and now where they put the new sticky markers. So there's like three different choices for what the side of the road is going to (laughs) be. And it's like cars like I have no idea what's happening here. And it, it can be... It's disconcerting. So it's not necessarily like, oh, that dang, that Genesis, but that it's a technology that there are moments when, man, when yeah. it fails, yeah. it fails miserably to the point that you think, I got to turn this off because it's, it's, I am now looking like a drunken sot driving down the road and it's just yeah. my lane keep assist. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot and, of, and uh, it doesn't matter what I've been in. I've had almost every car like do something insane. Yeah. Tesla's, uh, yeah. Super Cruise, you know, Hyundai's, Honda's, Mercedes, and they all, and, and most of they these... all get confused. They do. Yeah, mo- most of these will tell you, you know, in, in the manual, you know, that you shouldn't use it in a construction zone anyway. Um, you know, only use it where there's clearly marked lanes. So, uh, you know, but of course, you know, nobody does that, you know, until well, you'd they have to get be into like trouble you'd, like you did. Like you're, yeah, like you're doing a road trip. You'd have to be like, turn it off. Oh, wait, turn it on. Oh, wait, turn it off. Turn it like off. it's yeah. it, because the construction yeah. is like you, you have construction for 20 miles and then you don't have construction for 30 and then you have it for t- like. So it, it, if you really had to turn it off for a highway drive, which is really when you want lane keep assist, right? You're driving down the highway. You don't want to zone out. It's going to like bump you back in like, hey, you pay attention. Lane is over here. That's the moment kind of when you want it on those long drives and on a long drive, that's when the road's just construction here, construction there, it's changing. You just, and it's also not easy to turn off. Like it's inside, like some of them, you can just push a button right on the dashboard and, you know, turn that off. This was, I didn't see a dashboard button. If there was there, I missed it, but you have to go into the infotainment and do like vehicle settings, safety systems, you know, lane keep assist, then you can turn it off. Um, which is why I have my husband, I'm like, go in there and do that now. Um, but that yeah. was so with that and the the narrow back seat. But I it also again had an had a killer audio system. I I don't know what exactly Genesis is doing to make their audio sound so unbelievable in their cars. It we're like cruising down the highway with the audio way too loud and totally loving the ride. Um, that was fantastic, and it was just gosh, is that thing comfortable? It's so comfortable over those crazy potholed seams in the road construction messed up highway. I. Uh, you just didn't feel it. It was incredibly comfortable, which is saying something. <laughs> Messed up highway. Messed up highway. Yes, that's that's the rule. Messed up highway. Yeah, I forget who the they, – they've got a branded premium audio system on Genesis now. <clears throat> I forget which brand it is, but it, I think on the GV80, I think it has something like 19 speakers. Yes. And, you know, 1,000 some watts. It's, it's – wait a minute. Crazy. It's – 15 speakers. I found it. It's 15 speaker lexicon 15? system and the G70. Ah, so yes, it's 15, that's it. 
15 okay. speakers. It's a and sedan, people. 15 speakers. I don't even in, know where all yeah, those speakers in, in were. A, in a comparatively small sedan. In a small sedan. So, yeah. So, there is yeah. there is an abundance of sound in that car, and it is fantastic. Like, it's... I feel like you, when you have a luxury car, it should look pretty. It should ride smooth. It should feel like a luxury car when you sit down, that, like, whoosh, cushy kind of seats. And it should have a killer audio system. And the G70 checked all those boxes. And the, the GV80 is 21 speakers. 21. So it gets oh. an extra six yeah. speakers for its extra size. You get- yeah, well, I mean, you got an extra row mm-hmm. in there, so I mean, it's a bigger vehicle. There's more place to package them all. It is definitely bigger. Yep. Just cram some more speakers yep. in there. Just cram Just them all them in. in. There. Squish, squish, squish. <laughs> oh, we got this all warehouse full of speakers. What do we do with all these speakers we have? Let's oh, make a deal with Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> Let's shove as many as we can in our car. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, You create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Roberto, what have you been driving? I uh, drove the Audi e-tron GT and the Audi RS e-tron GT. So Ooh. these are the Halo um, EVs from Audi. Um, you might have uh, seen it in 2018, 2019 at the LA Auto Show uh, when it was uh, revealed. 19, with, I think. Uh, I think it was 19. 19. Yeah, I can't tell. Time, time makes no sense. Um it's a beautiful car, um, and uh, I, I dig the way it looks. I think it's beautiful. And when I did, I, I, I got to drive it back then, but it could only go like 20 miles an hour or 25 miles an hour <laughs> while being surrounded by police officers uh, because it was a concept car, so it didn't have like suspension or <laughs> stuff like that. Um, this is a production vehicle. In fact, when they, they told us, they're like, oh, um, we asked, well, when will he be in showrooms? They said, oh, last week. So oh, there this, you go. Yeah, so it, uh, yeah, the 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 um, the Audi e-tron GT starting at I'm just gonna say hundred thousand dollars is in um, showrooms right now, and the RS e-tron GT starts at hundred and forty thousand dollars. So they're very pricey, and they're also very uh, very much based on what you. Yeah, it's the same architecture as the Porsche Taycan. Um, so if you you know Porsche Taycan, Turbo Turbo S, all those. 
the the Audi e-tron GT shares a lot of uh, bits and pieces and platform and all the the juicy bits with the the Taycan, but it 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 also feels a bit like a different car. It's it's like the Taycan, but a bit more. I guess classy, maybe a, a little bit more subtle. It's not as powerful. It's not as it's not as much a driver's car. It's not as much. It is a driver's car, but it's not as aggressive on the road. How's that? It's it's it. The 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 steering's not as tight. The suspension's not as tight. The acceleration's not as like. Ugh. But you you know you're still doing you know zero to sixty and three point nine and three point two seconds. So it's How's not. How's that acceleration go, Roberto? The acceleration uh, is not okay. It's All not right. as. Uh, uh, okay. That's the. <laughs> Um, That's a technical phrase. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, in Audi, you know, they, they were like, well, you know, we're trying to make, you know, it's a GT. It's a Grand Tour. So it's not. But then they had us drive it on, you know, Angeles Crest Highway uh, above L.A. So, you know, they wanted us definitely to, to drive it and, and feel how it drove it in the mountains. And I had a blast driving that thing. I really liked it. Um, the, uh, the, the regular e-tron has 469 horsepower and 464 pound feet of torque. And then it has this 2.5 boost mode, which, you know, it's, it's something that Porsche's had on, um, their, uh, their ice vehicles and now on the Taycan for a while, but it has this boost mode that increases the power to 522 horsepower and 472 pound feet of torque. So you get a little extra something something when you want to pass someone or you, you could stick it in uh, launch uh, mode. The RS e-tron GT, it has 590 horsepower and 612 pound-feet of torque, which is a lot. Yeah. And when you put it in boost mode, the horsepower stays the same. So you still get the 590 horsepower, but the uh, torque goes up to 637 pound-feet. Which is sort of bonkers uh, when you're behind the wheel of a of a, of a sedan. So um, would you buy that? Would you, you Roberto? Would you buy that if you were going to do like just you know I'm going to work today on a Tuesday? Would you buy that car just to drive around, or would you only buy it if you were going to I don't know put it on a track or do something crazy? Like could you see driving well, here's the it thing. as a daily it's, driver? It's a weird. Oh, so so that's so the uh, the e-tron GT. I I completely see the market for that. This is people okay. who want a, a very no, a, a beautiful looking less aggressive version of the Taycan. It looks nicer than the Taycan. It's a bit more comfortable than Taycan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's Audi. Um, okay. The RS is where you end up with this really weird thing because then it starts bumping up against uh, Porsche's offering. So then you're like, well, do I want the Porsche or do I want the RS? Like, So what, what do you do? What would you I do? Think, I think, well, I... I you really, have to make a call. You have if I, if I had, bank, the, if I had the mic at the call, I would get the Porsche. You would get the Porsche, but I'm but but I am also like the guy who owns a BRZ and drives around with a manual transmission and is like burning down his tires, drifting around corners. <laughs> so that's you know. So I am, but I am a, a, the the outlier. I think I think we all think that we're going to be that person, but the reality is most people are not that person. Most people they get a nice car, it looks really pretty. Um, you know, it's like the people who buy the Lamborghinis in L.A. Mm-hmm. and all they do is drive from their house to the club and to the house of the club. And sometimes on the freeway on the 405 at five in the morning, when they got a quarter mile of open space before they hit more traffic, you know, they, they, they slam the accelerator for half a second. They can for half a second. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think the, you're going to get a lot of, of that with the RS people are going to buy it because it is the RS because it is, you know, more powerful. It is a beautiful car. I think it looks better than the Taycan, but I, I prefer the Taycan as, as an individual who, 
who wants to go a little bit faster and have a little bit more performance. Um, so you do the Tycom because fast car fast, but you do the Audi because pretty car pretty? Yeah, but it's still fast. But the fast car is a little faster. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's and, and of course everyone you know everyone wants the range. Uh, the e-tron GT has um, 238 miles of range. The RS has 232. So you're not really losing. It's six miles. So you're not really losing a lot of range that way. Um, I'm sure, like like Porsche, like all the Volkswagen Group vehicles, that number is being underreported. Uh, they've been picking the uh, lower number from the EPA when their stuff mm-hmm. is getting tested. So I- I'm sure it's going to be uh, probably around 245, 250 when people actually get these on the road. Um, I remember when I did the Porsche drive ahead of the EPA. Um, when the EPA number came out, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> that's, that's a mistake. The Taycan is way... Well, a, lot, a lot... Yeah. Well, and also... A lot of the Taycan tests have shown it to get, like, 280, 285 it's, miles wow. yeah, in highway driving. It's ridiculous. I drove that thing up, uh, again, up Angeles Crest Highway, up around. I did this big loop. It went up the back of Angeles Crest and then came back down into Glendale. And I was, like, driving as, you know, uh, a, uh, a journalist, you know, an automotive journalist, which means you're, 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 you're pushing the car, you know, right. you're stopping and you're, you're, you're taking off, you're doing, you know, you're using boost mode, you're doing launch control, you're doing all these things that should decimate the, the range. And it does decimate the range, but it wasn't as much as you would think based on what the EPA uh, rating is for the vehicle. So it's, you know, Volkswagen is, is uh, 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 probably a bit gun shy when it comes to anything that has any, <laughs> to do with anything. And for good, for good why. reason. Yeah, for good reason. Um, it has an 800 volt system, which is nice, which means it, it'll charge it up to 270 kilowatts at a, you know, at a charging station that supports that. So, uh, Audi says you can go from five to 80% in about 23 minutes, which is if you're, you know, driving, you're, you're going on a, a, a long drive, you know, again, you're probably going to get more than that 238. Let's say you do 250. So you go 250 miles, you pull over, you get from five to 80 in the time it takes you to go inside and get a big gulp or some beef jerky or whatever. A coffee. A coffee. I, I don't drink coffee, so I always think, I always forget that people drink wait, coffee. You don't drink coffee? I drink, <laughs> I drink tea, and then when I'm traveling, I drink espresso. Well, espresso is technically coffee. It's like friend. super coffee, but I like well, regular, yes, but just like a coffee. Like I don't get up in the morning and be like, I'm gonna have a coffee. I don't. That's not me. I don't. I just like I don't order coffee. I don't like make coffee. I have all these things. You know, you, sometimes you get things in the mail, and a lot of times it's like, hey, here's a an awesome carafe, or here's this thing to make coffee, or they'll send you coffee. I'm like, well, send me the coffee because I drink all the coffee, all I give the coffee, it, all the ways. Oh, okay. But I usually just give it away to whoever. <laughs> I give, give away it away so, to me. I, give I away want the fancy so, coffee. Anytime automakers send me stuff, I just give it to children. Except for well, the I coffee I give to the... I was going to give children coffee. <laughs> like, here you go. Start early. <laughs> Start early, <laughs> kid. I, I, I quit drinking coffee for the most part a couple of years ago. And now when I, when I get containers of coffee from automakers, I just, my wife still drinks coffee. She makes a cold <sighs> brew. So wow. um, I give it to her. To so your wife is sane, but you are crazy. I approve of your wife's cold brew habit, but I don't know how you, I drink coffee. Yeah. I love coffee. Coffee is life. I have coffee from everywhere in my cabinet. Wow. I'm from Arizona. I have some from New Mexico. Shortly, I, I'll have coffee from New York City because that's where I'll be this week. So if I see you I, out I, on the streets, I, I'll, I'll just I hand love you coffee, some... but 
copy. Yeah, yeah just get, I just expect to see an extra theater program, Roberto. I just want you to have like an extra suitcase that I can check with all of your coffee paraphernalia in it that I will take back home to New Hampshire with me. I, I do drink a lot of tea. <laughs> I do drink a lot of tea too. I have actually I got new tea uh, this week from Steepology. Ooh, I got it. I just drank Barry's uh, Irish dark tea. Ooh. It's just like just. That's it. One kind of tea. And and chai. I drink chai. Okay. So that's that's kind of it. That's it's I'm the berries, gray. chai, and then um, Red Bull, which is a horrible habit. I I, <laughs> yeah. I was drinking so many of those when the young when I was younger, and I was you know running news and just like I, you're you're just running you know you're writing twelve articles a day. You're like ah. I love and, how you've like cut out coffee like it's a habit, but you're like no that Red Bull. Oh no, I never even me. really drank coffee. It wasn't like I <laughs> oh, was like oh you never did. No, no, I never wow. really. Yeah, it's but I do like I do like I, it I did. I would. Yeah, I didn't. I, care. I would make a, a pot of coffee in the morning and you know drink it all by mid afternoon. And at auto shows, you know when they had espresso stands, oh, espresso at all the oh, yeah. maker stands. You know, I would I would drink like ten, twelve espressos a day at you know when covering an auto show. In an auto show, I do go crazy. But then you're up at like five o'clock in the morning and suddenly you're going to bed at midnight and you have to write stuff. In, you know, and it's. The coffee is yeah. – you kind of need it that was, espresso. Yeah. It's doing bad stuff to my blood pressure though. I'm so. sure. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so um, I don't know how we got on coffee. But anyway, I don't – oh, oh, when you when you pull over. Uh, it also has yes. a two – it has a two-speed transmission like the Taycan. So, you have that low end for uh, taking off and then that, that second gear for, for cruising. Um, during um, launch control, they, let us, they, they took us to an airfield to drive the vehicle. Uh, so we could do launch control. Um, you could hear the wheels chirp in first and second gear. So that was Ooh. fun. But when, I mean, when you have something that has, and hold on again, 612 pound feet of torque. Here's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I, I enjoyed the vehicle. I, um, I like the way it looks, uh, seating, front seats, fine back seat. If you're tall, sorry. <laughs> No it's, joy. There's no joy. Yeah, there's, there's, like, I'm 6'3, so when I have the seat back, there's maybe a child. A child could sit back there. You could put some children back there, or some very, uh, some, your short friends. Um, or if you're all short, you, you, you can comfortably put four people. But if you have <laughs> for one, sure, family, one, one tall friend is going to ruin it for everyone. So, <laughs> everything's out of, forget it. So now we can't go anywhere. You're too damn tall. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not quite as spacious as the, uh, the A7 then in the back seat. No, no, no. It's 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 pretty. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. tight. It's pretty tight in there. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the design, really. I think the design took over where you know it looks. Yeah, I, I think the with yeah, the drag it's, coefficient. It's got a pretty steeply sloped rear end. Yeah, the drag coefficient is zero point two four, I believe. I might have that, that written down somewhere. Be, I think check. that's what I recall you saying in the video. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. I did a video. You can go listen to that. Um, <laughs> And you can get you yeah. can get a, well, I posted, a option. the videos on on wheelbearings.media if you want to check it out. I posted it on there a week ago. Oh, cool! Yeah, you can go go there and, and check it out and and uh, point and laugh at me for getting a point uh, three point two second of run instead of a three point two second run. And I was I was decimated by the fact that I couldn't get I couldn't do the three point two. But but speed by I I know like going fast in a cor- in a straight line has never been like that exciting to me. Um, Especially when you're using launch control, because then it's just sort of the luck of the draw and how much you ate that day. Uh, I, I didn't eat lunch. I was so busy doing videos. How much video. ballast you So you should yeah. have had a faster time if you didn't eat lunch. I know, Come I on, didn't eat slacker. lunch, but I'm also, but I have been eating a lot of lunch for the last 18 months, so. 
And, and every the combined lunch, power of many lunches. The combined is, power of many lunches has it slowed uh, your your time. It, it did. It That's the my best time. excuse I've ever heard of. I'm gonna be like, I don't know. I've eaten a lot of lunches this last year and a half. I remember who was it? Robbie, <laughs> one of the F, one of the the IndyCar drivers was complaining because uh, I can't remember her name. She was the first to drive Indianapolis. Danica Patrick. Danica Patrick. He was saying that it's not fair because she's so light. She doesn't weigh anything. Yeah, well, she's tiny. She's like five she's foot two. Mid. Yeah, yeah. But I remember the first time I ever saw her. She. Yeah. So, but but mini- maybe miniature. maybe Robbie should um, I don't know, eat less. And also, Emerson Fittipaldi probably weighed like sixty pounds when he won the Indy <laughs> five hundred, <laughs> soaking wet. He's also a tiny person. He's essentially a jockey in a car. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Uh, eat less if you want to go faster is my story. <laughs> eat less, go faster. <laughs> or don't. You know what? It's a bl- like like a tenth of a second in your daily life doesn't matter. So enjoy that sandwich. Just you'll be slower. Yeah, I, it, I like that philosophy better. Yeah. Eat the sandwich. Un- unless unless you're making your living, you know, driving around in circles, you know, then yeah, enjoy the lunch. Eat the yeah. sandwich. All right. Sandwich. All right, I had uh, two quite different SUVs um, uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, I had the first one was the new 2022 Acura MDX uh, Super Handling All Wheel Drive Advance A Spec, um, and Fancy. so this is this is uh, Acura's um, three row, bigger three row uh, crossover um, with the A Spec. There. Think that there's a Type S coming eventually, but that's not available yet. Um, but right now they've got the A spec, which uh, in this case, in the case of the MDX, there's only one powertrain. Uh, it's the Honda's lovely 3.5 liter uh, V6, naturally aspirated V6, 290 horsepower. Um, it's been around in in various iterations for quite a long time now, but it's still a, a really nice engine. It's very smooth. Um, makes a nice sound when you when you really get into it. Um, the uh, the A spec um, you know gives you uh, some nicer looking wheels, some black trim, looks a little sportier, a little tighter suspension setup. Um, the overall the the new MDX uh, you know it it incorporates Acura's new design language. You know they're precision crafted design or whatever whatever it is uh so you know, it's got a similar look and feel to the to the new whatever tlx um, whatever the heck they call it yeah, yeah. uh i really like the uh, the grill on uh, especially on the the a spec you know it's got um this diamond pattern in there so you've got these uh what looks like little diamonds that all you know kind of emanate from the center from the acura badge in the center and spread out uh you know towards the edges it, it it's it's a cool uh, looking design it, it, in it, my it brain really they're all attacking the acura thing so that's i'm i guess oh, okay that maybe that's that, it that, yours your yours makes way more sense where they're coming out from the acura because you're going so I like, fast no, i kind of like yours in my brain like they're all like Acura's, get them it's like under siege <laughs> yeah but it, but it makes way more sense in your brain now now i'll now i'll look at it correctly on the uh, the ace back you get 20 inch alloy wheels uh, all season tires um it's like i said it's not it's not any quicker than any other mdx because they all have the same powertrain but it drives really well um the the, the ride quality is really good it's roomy it doesn't have the you know kind of that really luxury feel 
of the GV80. You know, it's a, it's a very, I mean, it feels premium, but not, you know, kind of that traditional luxury feel that you get in the, in the Genesis. Um, so it's a very different kind of feel to it. It has the same um, uh, touchpad system that's in the TLX. Uh, so it's the absolute positioning touchpad. So, you know, if you want, if you're looking, you don't have to um, scroll back and forth on the pad. You just put your finger down on the pad where it, in the place that's analogous to whatever it is you're trying to touch. So if you're trying to hit the icon in the upper right corner, you hit, tap the upper right corner of the touchpad and it works. Um, the uh, uh, the ELS Studio audio system uh, is really good. Um, you know, to my ears, you know, which have been damaged by many years of way too loud music. Um, you know, I don't think I could necessarily tell the difference between uh, this the ELS system and the Acura and the uh, Lexicon system and the Genesis or the Revel system and a Lincoln or or any of the others that you know. As long, you know, any of these premium sound systems to me just sound really good. I think the Lexicon sounds better. I think it's funny that really? the, that okay. these vehicles yeah. are all, you know, all as you get older, you can afford a nicer car with nicer audio. But as you get older, no matter what, even if you don't do anything, if you just your right. hearing just naturally degrades. <laughs> so we're getting so like yeah. nice, you know, us. So maybe we maybe you think that these are all better. In reality, they're like we got to find charge them an extra thousand dollars. They'll never do. Throw some children in there. It's a, it's a self <laughs> and let them figure it out. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You know, if you if you're if you're spending that extra money, then you're going to convince yourself that it's better. And I'm, you know, they all sound really good to me. You know, yeah, none of them I, really I've never sound been bad. an audiophile. I, I have the exactly, yeah. I have a BRZ, and it has the worst sound system in any vehicle on the planet. And every time I get in that car, and I'm like, I love this car, and then I turn the radio on, I'm like, oh. I, I see your new- BRZ <laughs> with a 2010 Dodge Charger. Check out that audio system. Woof. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's Battle of the Bad Audio. Well, you know, and, oh yeah, and, it's bad. And my 1990 Miata, you know, it's it, oh you know, yeah, it's nothing yeah, to write home about as far as. The, but you know, I drive with the top down all the time, you know, and the, you know, the I hear the engine, so you know, it's fine. I'm not. Miata, I don't drive the Miata they, for the sound for the sound system. Speakers in the newer ones. Put. Am I thinking of a different car? Put speakers in the headrest. Didn't somebody put speakers in the headrest? Yeah. Well, actually, they did. They did right Didn't from they? the very beginning. They offered that as a, as an option. And in fact, okay. my Miata, it did not come with those speakers from the factory, but you can unzip the um, covering around the headrest and you open it up and the, the cutouts in the foam and the headrest are there oh. for the speakers. Did you, um, just, did you they, put speakers they used, in? They, I, I did put speakers in. They, they had these little oddball, they were like about two by four inch oval shaped speakers from the factory. And of course you can't buy those anywhere. Um, so I just got a pair of little three and a half inch round speakers and, you know, adjusted the foam a little bit and stuffed them in there. It works. So it works fine. But it's, it's still not, it's still not a high end audio system by any stretch. It's not a 15 speaker lexicon or a 19 speaker ELS or whatever the heck that one is. No, definitely, definitely not. Um, so, you know, the, the MDX comes with the full suite of, of, uh, uh, ADAS features like adaptive cruise control and collision mitigation, braking and, and uh, lane departure, lane keeping assist, all that, all that stuff. Um, so you get all, all the good stuff. The um, sticker price on the one I drove, excuse me, was $62,175, including delivery charge. 
it's EPA rated at 21 miles per gallon. I think I got about 20, 19 or 20 uh, during my time driving it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable vehicle to drive, you know, for a three-row SUV. Um, you know, it's not the, you know, the sportiest you know, that you're going to find, uh, you know, it's nothing, you know, like a, an X5M or something like that, but you know, it's, it feel, you know, it's got good driving dynamics. Um, and the super handling all wheel drive, the torque vectoring all wheel drive system always works really well for, you know, making the, the vehicle track around corners, uh, and the best name precisely. really, um, yeah. Oh yeah, it's, absolutely. It sounds like you can't, you can't beat super handling all-wheel drive. Super handling all-wheel drive. The best name of any all-wheel yeah. drive system on the planet. I know the Quattro is, you yeah. know, the most iconic, mm-hmm. but really super handling all-wheel super drive. Handling. How good is it? It's super handling. It's That's a how Saturday, good it is. It's a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. So that's the Acura MDX. At the opposite end of the scale, uh, I also drove another sixty-plus-thousand-dollar SUV, which was the uh, Jeep Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon 4xe. Um, so this is the plug-in hybrid, which I think um, uh, Nicole, I think you guys own one now. We is do. yours a Rubicon had, or? It is. It's, we've had it for about a month now. So yes, it is exactly okay. what we own in in oh. red firecracker red. Fancy. Okay, I had yeah. the uh, the billet silver. Okay. Um, and, uh, so, you know, this is, this is a, a Wrangler, you know, if you're familiar with a Wrangler, this is largely like any other Wrangler, you know, it drives pretty much the same, except, you know, slightly quicker cause it's got more power. It's got another, um, you know, it's got a hundred kilowatt, uh, electric motor in there stuffed in there between the engine and the transmission. Um, and it'll go, uh, about 21, 22 miles on a charge, uh, for when you plug it in. And so you can get, you know, 22 miles of electric driving with, without running the engine. And I took it out and, and did a drive loop with it, uh, which included uh, a bunch of driving on some, uh, some dirt roads, some gravel roads um, north, of, north of the city here. Um, and then a little bit of highway driving and, you know, some, some mixed uh, urban, suburban driving. And I, I managed to get, you know, the 22 miles of driving range before the engine finally kicked on. Um, the, uh, you know, it's, it's rated overall at 49 miles per gallon equivalent, um, which for a Jeep is pretty remarkable. You know, if you don't plug it in and you just drive it as a hybrid, you're going to get like low 20s uh, at best. Um, which is, you know, granted better than most Wranglers will do, certainly better than they've traditionally done. Uh, but if you want to get the most out of this, you know, you, you need to plug it in at night. You know, just plug it in. It'll charge up overnight. You can do most of your daily driving without using any gas. Um, and it's quiet. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do any off-roading, but I did, you know, drive it on, on various gravel roads with some, some pretty hefty uh, potholes in there. And, you know, it's actually a, a, you know, really pleasant drive, you know, even with the windows down and the, I had the, the sky, the sky one touch power top, you know, so you hit the button and the, the whole fabric roof slides back, um, which is, you know, that's one of the, the nicest features on the, the Wranglers, I think, although it's expensive at $4,000. Um, but, uh, that's what we got just because it's so convenient. Yeah, but, you know, base price. The cheapest Wrangler 4xe uh, starts at fifty-one thousand seven hundred. This one with all the options on it 
six, almost sixty-six thousand dollars, sixty-five eight ninety, including the fifteen hundred dollar delivery charge. It did have you know things like adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assist. Um, also had the the leather interior, um, which you know if you're if you're planning to go off roading, you know with a Rubicon. I'm not sure why you'd necessarily want the leather interior, but you, whatever. How you know, many people money. who bought the Rubicon are going off roading? Twenty percent. I think there's a, there's, there's the hardcore that, twenty, maybe yeah. like like ten yeah. percent are like hardcore. The five percent of those are five percent of people are hardcore. That other fifteen percent are like go off every once in a while. Everyone else once a year they'll go to the mountains and drive in some snow or go down a dirt road to like I don't know pick up a rock. Well, and that's the thing with any of the capability, yeah. like in the Wrangler or even in the Bronco, it's like it can do th- all these absolutely amazeballs things. But how many people do that? Like three, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's it, it, they're so much much more capable than what anybody is ever really or most people are ever really going to need. But it doesn't negate the fun Although, of knowing uh, you could do it. Yeah, you could. It's like zombie you apocalypse. Well, you're good you know, to go. I mean, uh, right. Just drive right over the zombies. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. Yep, a higher percentage of Wrangler and Bronco owners are going to do that than probably for any other SUV. Oh yeah, but that's oh, yeah. still not the majority. But still, most of them are. Yeah, if you say uh, it, like far more likely in those cars. But still, out of a hundred percent of Wrangler and Bronco owners, what twenty percent, fifteen percent, ten percent are actually going to push these as hard as they can be pushed? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, with the uh, with the Rubicon, you do get uh, you know the. The two-range four-wheel drive, you know, so you got four high, four low. Um, you get the sway bar disconnect in the front, uh, locking Ooh. differentials all around. So, you know, if you if you get into the the rough stuff, you know, you, chances are you'll be able to get yourself out. And if not, you know, then somebody can always hook up a toe strap to those nice blue tow hooks. That's how you can tell you got the the plug-in hybrid because instead of the red tow hooks on the tra- on the Trailhawk or the regular yeah. Rubicon, you get blue tow hooks. Oh. So it's blue trim for the plug-in hybrid. I was talking to someone about at Jeep about my husband wanting to do things that the Jeep could do, but he doesn't have the off-road skills to handle. And I'm like, he seems to think he'll be able to get out of it. Just as, it's a Rubicon. And he's like, yeah, tell him, tell him if he does get himself stuck. The only thing that is getting himself out is a helicopter, because if he gets that stuck, nothing's going to be able to get in to get him out. <laughs> oh, you could take a class, right? No, I'm gonna. No, we're gonna actually send you, him if, out to Moab, and I have a class all lined up so he can nice. learn what he's doing. So no, he'll be able to take advantage of it he just right. yeah yeah absolutely and one other thing about the the four by e the plug-in hybrid it's only available on the four-door you can't get that powertrain on the two-door broncos or the two-door, two-door broncos. <laughs> can't two-door get it on, wranglers you can't get it on the two-door bronco <laughs> you can't get it on a two-door bronco <laughs> either four-door bronco. yeah yeah but uh yeah two-door wrangler uh no no plug-in hybrid uh just the four doors but you know that accounts for 80 percent of wrangler sales now anyway so uh no big deal um so yeah that's the uh, the wrangler unlimited rubicon four by e and uh let's get into some other stuff if there was a awesome. if there was a bronco uh hybrid would you be all into it would you be would you think it it where would you put it between the Wrangler 4xE and a Bronco hybrid, plug-in hybrid? Uh, oh, well, there gosh. is a there is going to be a Bronco hybrid. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's a yeah, given. That's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. I I, I you know I I've oh. I've driven the um, the F-150 hybrid, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be basically the same powertrain in the Bronco. Okay. Um, and so 
I think they'll probably be pretty close, roughly equal. Especially, well, especially if they do a plug-in hybrid version of the Bronco. Yeah. You know, they pr- there probably won't be a whole lot of difference between the two. I think a lot with a Bronco versus Wrangler is, whether it's the hybrid or the, just any, is that, you know, you're, one isn't so much better or so much worse than the other that you go like, well, I got to get this one because the other one's terrible. It's It gets down to a lot of just personal preference. You got to drive them both. Or if you're like really a Bronco fan, you're going to go for the Bronco. If you're yeah, a hardcore yeah. Jeeper, you're going to stick with your Jeep. Would you be just as happy in the Bronco or vice versa? Probably. But you're, I don't I don't know unless unless Ford does something. Each, each one's got some advantages. and yeah. Right. Like yeah. you're, you're better here, but you're worse there. We'll come to the other brand and it flips the other. You know, there's, there's pluses and minuses with each of them that makes them it's hard to say one is really like yeah. better than the other they're just different than each other i just want to start and, a fight. you know it also depends on which <laughs> you one you want like to start the looks a up fight <laughs> i just want to start a fight. fight 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 i was adding drama to the podcast but it turns out we're all um adults oh well <laughs> we're all reasonable adults all Sorry, reasonable Roberto. adults it's like what should i get i'm like well what do you all want all right <laughs> Uh, let's see. Did we mention the New York Auto Show was canceled? Um, the New York Auto Show is canceled. Planning, New York Auto Show is canceled. If you're planning to go to New York for the Auto Show, it, don't bother. Uh, wait till next Poof. next spring, don't, maybe. Don't go. Eat pizza instead. <laughs> it's it's off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I'll I'll actually be in New York tomorrow as we record this, uh, heading out there to drive something. Uh, cool. Why we're driving it in New York, I have no idea. But uh, no, it totally we'll makes sense to drive time. that vehicle in New York. I get it, 100%. I get it. Makes total sense. Total I sense. I don't know what vehicle we're talking about, but I'm. I never. Yes, what, uh, uh, what? What? We'll think about what vehicle you would probably think would be perfectly not suited to the streets of a city, and oh, come back to that. All next right week. then. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, this week. Uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, signed an executive order that um, suggests that the auto industry should aim to sell half of its vehicles with a plug by the end of this decade. Um, did you guys have a chance to take a look at what was what was in there and got any thoughts on it? Half of vehicles with a plug. Is he make? Is this just like a, I'd like to see this happen, pie in the sky thing? Yeah, it's a target. Or is he like I'm going to make this Cause, happen cause by he, inst- doing these things? I, I, it's, it, it, it's okay. Twenty thirty is more is a, like if what year is this? Twenty one. <laughs> it's nine years nice. away. All this yes. stuff is going. This isn't. This is like getting excited. This is like saying, uh, you know, when I turn thirty, I'm gonna eat less pizza. You're like, hey, that's crazy. But no, you're probably gonna eat less pizza when you turn thirty. It's it's very much something that's gonna happen anyway. But do you think that percent, fifty percent, think we'll get that far in nine years? Probably, yeah. With a plug, that With yeah. a plug? I mean, that because is the target that the industry is aiming for anyway. Yeah, the industry is already like we're going to do this. Yeah, everyone's already pushing for it. Everything's going to have a, either a hybrid, you, you know, because you, you, we also have to think about outside of the United States. You know, if you're building a, a, a platform that everywhere else in the world is a plug-in hybrid, and then you're like, oh, I guess I'll just make it an ICE vehicle in the United States. It's just, it's just like, oh, you know what? Just here, here. And then we know that the hybrids yeah. do well. I mean, the Prius, the ugliest, probably most boring car on the planet, does amazing. And so people, yeah, people are fine with Not hybrids. anymore, but... Well, yeah, at the time, yeah. Well, for a long time, it was, well, if, yeah. every, everybody's buying Rav Four hybrids now instead of Prius. Rav Four, right, yeah. Still Toyota, the Rav Four Prime, one. yeah. They get, yeah. yeah, the Prime, the Rav Four Prime. Well, what would yeah, you I, buy if you could buy the Rav Four? You could buy the the Prius. What would you buy? 
Oh, I get the Rav Four. Jeez. Oh, easily. The RAV4. The RAV4. Oh, god. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. yeah, I've driven. I like to call it the Rad Four, just because. The Rad Four, because it's cool. <laughs> well, it's, it's super cool. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say it's cool. I just like to say that. <laughs> It's it is it is a, a, it is a great value. It is a Toyota. It's going to last seven thousand years, and you're going to get all the cool stuff that you want from Toyota is going to happen in the Rav Four. It it has a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of room. Just uh, go buy it. Go Rav Four CRV Hybrid. Yeah. Both of those. Go buy. Just just go throw your money at them and drive around and be happy. But uh, yeah, so the, yeah, the clearly you know the executive order. Um, you know, while it doesn't specifically mandate 50% plug-in vehicles by 2030, you know, it was it was clearly done in conjunction with the auto industry, saying, "This is something you can achieve." Yeah, okay, good. 50% sounds like a good number, uh, and that's that's what everybody in the industry is targeting. You yeah, know, that, hey, that's you what can... Ford and GM and Stellantis and Volkswagen, you know, you know, except for the EV-only companies like Tesla and, and Fisker. Yeah, you know, all the traditional automakers are, or most of them are shooting for, um, for you know half of their vehicles by the end of the decade. You know, and they they threw in you know plug-in hybrids in there as well in order to satisfy Toyota because Toyota doesn't like battery electric vehicles, so they're you know they're gonna they're gonna I mean, do they some have, plug-in hybrids. They have in, hydrogen in, in there, batteries. don't they? Don't they have hydrogen? Isn't yeah, it hy- yeah. All, all zero and low emission vehicles. 50, 50, yeah. 50, uh, 50 percent of of the Toyota lineup is going to be Mirai's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still only driving around my house. Um, at, that you know, my I think you know, the other that- thing that they were trying. Oh, go no, ahead. I was going to say the favorite part of that whole thing was that Joe Biden was just like, I want to drive one of these. And apparently, like, the keys were in the Jeep. And they're like, well, the keys are in that one. Boom. Biden driving around in a Ford <laughs> <Yeah>. e. <laughs> Like, from everything I've read reports, it's literally how it happened. He's like, I'd really like to drive one of these. And the Jeep guy just like, what? keys are in that's, it. Go go take a first spin. That's He's what like, happened I, when he was here in Dearborn. I love that. With, like, a, with the F-150 Jeep. Lightning. That yeah. was more marketing money yeah. than you would have spent in a year, and you just got it for free by having keys in your car. <laughs> go, yeah, go, yep. go drive the car. Knock yourself go out. Drive it wherever you want. I feel like we'll, you'll bring it back, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the, they're uh, the only people who are like sort of about all this. Yeah. The, the the other stuff that was in the executive order, you know, is um, looking at expanding the charging infrastructure. You know, so the thing that the auto industry all said was, you know, we we support this. You know, we think we can do this uh, as long as as long as we get support. You know, in terms of expanding charging infrastructure and um, you know getting some incentives for vehicle sales. You know, to you know get some tax breaks. And so the executive order also calls for changing. The tax credit changing from tax credits to a point of sale rebate, uh, which will help actually lower the monthly payments for people, make it more affordable. Instead of you know only being people who actually have enough taxable income to be able to get to claim the full tax credit the following year, um, so that'll help more people be able to afford EVs uh, if if they can get Congress to do it. Because the problem there is Congress has got to actually do something for any of that uh. to happen, and you know well. Chances of that are probably pretty slim. Um, I'm just, yeah. Just give uh, people the money to buy the car. You're going to give them anyway. You're making it too complex with the tax thing. The IRS is already a mess. Don't just, here, here's your rebate. Get your money. Buy your EV. Have a, have a, have a good old day. Don't make them like do their taxes. Taxes already suck. Don't make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, and then the, the last part of the executive order was also um, basically reversing what the previous administration did with the corporate average fuel economy uh, standard, um, not going quite back to what it was under Obama, uh, but getting closer to that. So under the Obama administration, they were targeting 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025 for fleet fuel economy. Um, what uh, the Biden executive order calls for is 52 miles per gallon in 2026. So the industry gets a little bit of a break there you know, because of the, the transition to bigger, heavier vehicles. Um, and then you know, they continue ramping it up from there through 2030 as well. So that's... That's what came it's out of Washington this week. That's what the auto industry wanted in the first place, and then the Trump thing was just bonkers, and then the whole auto industry is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> because they created all this uncertainty, especially when we have to deal with CARB in California. They're yeah. like, no, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess they got what they and wanted. The thing eventually. is, they were already planning for 54 anyway. You know, so they already had their product plans in place to try to hit that. And, you yeah. know, then they got undercut. So um, speaking of EVs um, and EV charging, I drove up to Traverse City this past week in a Mach-E. And because uh, <clears throat> the reason, you know, it's from my house, it's about 250 miles to northern Michigan. And, you know, I wanted to see what it was like doing a road trip in an electric vehicle in northern Michigan because I hadn't done that previously. And it actually, for the most part, worked out really well. I had, you know, the chargers I used, I used six different chargers over six days, 600 mile, a little over 600 miles of driving. Um, you know, and I, I actually didn't have to charge that many times. I, you know, I could have gotten by with charging just probably twice. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to experience the different chargers in different locations, make sure they all worked. Um, I had no issues there. You know, when I went to Electrify America, plug and charge worked perfectly. I plugged it in. It authenticated the car, started charging, no problem at all. The The big complaint I ha still have, though, about most of these public chargers is actually finding them. Because, you know, you get things like Electrify America or even Tesla superchargers, um, you know, they're usually located next to a mall or a big box store in the parking lot, and they're... You know, these chargers are usually about five, six feet tall, you know, so about the height of a person. And if it's a full parking lot, there's almost never any signage for these things as to exactly where they are in the parking lot. So actually finding the, the precise location, you know, the, in the navigation, it'll tell you, yeah, it's at this Meyer store or this Walmart or, you know, whatever, this Lowe's. And, you know, then somewhere in that parking lot, you actually have to... <laughs> physically locate those chargers you just cruising and for it. just cruising the parking lot like a weirdo just staring all with that. like you yeah. look, you're looking around you, and if you're in a mall parking lot and it just says you know pheasant lane mall you're that's like mall. okay that's that's 52 miles of parking which entrance did you decide was the one got the ev charger could yeah. you give me a hint <laughs> I, I called electrify exactly. america about a charging station at a mall and it was on like the third floor or the fourth oh floor. My gosh. And so yeah. there was the ground floor, there was the basement floor, there was the first floor, second floor, <laughs> and then third floor. And I pulled in and I drove around the first floor. I'm like, well, maybe it's down. So I went down to the set to the underground floor. I'm like, okay, maybe the second floor. So then I went to the second. Okay, if it's not on any of these, it's on the top floor. Then I went up to the top floor and I got like something and I call and I'm like, yeah, you need to say where it's at. 
Because just saying it's at the mall is not. You have to give us. You have to give people the floor, and even if you have to just give them the 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 you know northeast corner, at least something. It can't just be the mall. I feel like they need to give you a thing like the mall on the Target side or the mall by Nordstrom or something. Yeah, like at least give, give me a region of the mall where I should start driving circles. How close is it? Circles to get closer and closer to where it is. <laughs> how close is it to a pretzel? I just want a pretzel, yeah. mall pretzel. Is it near Auntie Anne's or not? That's all That's I need all to know. Really know. <laughs> yeah, so the, the first EA station I stopped at, you know, it was actually on a Sunday afternoon. The, the parking lot was mostly empty, so it was easy to find. But then uh, the next day or the day, the day after that, I went looking for a charge point uh, charger that was uh, about a 10-minute walk away from uh, the Airbnb we were staying at. And it was in a hospital parking garage, same, similar kind of situation to what you were describing, Robbie. <laughs> you know, and it was, on the second, it was on the second floor, you know, tucked away in a corner you know, where you know, I could have been driving around and, and not even noticed it there. Um, and... You know, I was using the ChargePoint app, and the ChargePoint app works in Android Auto. Uh, so it shows you, you know, gives you the addresses of where the where the chargers are, but it doesn't show you all the notes. If you actually take, you know, unplug your phone and look in the ChargePoint app and click on the on the charger, it actually does have some more detailed notes. And in there, it said, "Oh, it's on the second floor of this parking garage," but it doesn't show you that in in Android Auto or Apple CarPlay for some reason. So. That's something for, for uh, ChargePoint to address. But, you know, just in general, in any navigation system, if you're going to put locations of chargers, and this applies to Google Maps and Apple Maps, which all do charger locations, and, in, in, you know, the built-in nav systems in cars, you know, same thing goes for, you know, Ford Sync, you know, their nav system. Um, you know, please put more precise detail. <laughs> and for those Signage that are installing <laughs> chargers... Yes, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a charger in your parking facility, put a sign at the entrance, you know, <laughs> yes. and say the the EV chargers are on the second floor. You know, Even if you just give us the floor, even the floor, <laughs> or yeah. just like just a or, little, like a little plug symbol in the like number little, two, like oh plugs on arrow, two, I'm going that way, or yeah. something. There's a thousand exit signs. There's a thousand parking signs. Like I don't know, put up five charging signs. Just say oh go up this, go to the third floor. And then just have a little, like, go this way, go this way. No, you're almost there, I swear. Yes, it's in the far corner where it's going to take you 20 minutes to walk to the mall, but you're going to get charged. Just give us some information. <laughs> and, and, and if it's, you know, if it's in a parking lot in the mall, you know, the, you know, the ground level parking lot or, you know, big box store, put a sign there. You know, you the go, big... you're looking for gas. Gas stations have huge signs, you know, but big... do, want, do that for, for the chargers. Giant light up sign. You know, put it twenty feet up in the air and say, have an arrow there. Say, here's the chargers right here. You can put a lightning bolt there. It'll be awesome. It'll be like a heavy metal. Do it. Yeah, they should all just have a lightning bolt yeah. that blinks, and the bolt should point in the direction of the chargers. So you just keep following the bolt. Like, yeah, I like it. There you go. Gonna, There's some business. good user interface design. Lightning bolt right. explosions. Let's. Um. I, while I was in Traverse City, I also had a chance to uh, chat with uh, Craig Stevens uh, from Ford, Craig, um, uh, Kevin Mall from Bosch, and, uh, uh, oh, I can't, I remember her name now, um, Heather, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Heather Wilberger from uh, Bedrock uh, about the new Detroit Smart Parking Lab, and uh, there's an interview that I will 
paste in right here. And we'll be right back and answer some listener questions. Announcing today um, this new program uh, that is, I guess, a, you could you call it a development of what we saw last year uh, with the automated valley parking system that you demoed in Detroit uh, last year. Um, building on that and expanding it, tell, give, give, us, give me an overview of what's what, you're, what Ford and Bosch and the state of Michigan are doing. Yeah, and uh, we'll throw Bedrock into the oh, Bedrock as well. Yeah, and um, and, a- and ACM and ACM. Yeah, well, we can explain all that to you. Um, so, Craig, if you don't mind, I will oh, maybe stay. start with a little bit of the overview. So, you know, the, the project last summer went you know really well, and I think that um, what kind of the catalyst was for this was the collaboration that we had. Um, you know, it felt so easy and natural, and it was the right mix of collaborators that, you know, we kind of said, you know, we don't really want this to end here, and we started thinking about what the next thing could be. And then um, as our discussions evolved with uh, Trevor Paul's team in the state of Michigan, you know, we wanted to bring them into the program, and, and through that dialogue and, you know, to, to best align with their mission, we decided we wanted to kind of expand the scope to, you know, not just valley parking. We would call that a, you know, a very significant project that we did together, but we wanted to make this more of an innovation platform and broaden the scope to include um, logistics for some last mile logistics use cases and EV charging, you know, still inspired around parking, you know, parking inspired, but, you know, much broader than just the automated movement of the vehicle. Um, so we, um, you know, decided that we also wanted to have a, you know, very legitimate operator to, to run the lab for us, and that's where we brought ACM into the dialogue, and, and um, you know, they were really accommodating for us, and, and we agreed that um, they would become the operator of the lab. And then, of course, you know, we'll talk more about this later, I suppose, and we were able to, to bring Enterprise in as our launch project, um, so it became Ford and Bedrock and the state of Michigan and Bosch collaborating together, bringing ACM on as our operator and enterprise in as our, as our launch project. So to just step back a little bit for, for those that are not familiar with it, um, the, the original project was using the, um, the Bosch automated valley parking system combined with Ford vehicles with uh, built-in connectivity. Um, you've got sensors in the parking facility uh, that detect where vehicles and pedestrians are and where they're moving around within the facility. And then as a vehicle comes in, driver stops on the, on the parking pad, gets out, system communicates over Wi-Fi to the, the vehicle, and then guides it and, and sends the commands for where it should go, right? Is that right, correct? Great. Spot on. Okay. So um, with... Enterprise, I guess, where where does it go from here with this new, you know, as a platform? Are companies like Enterprise and, and other potential partners that come in, are they going to be using that same setup, or are are, are they going to be adding additional things to that? How, how's that all going to work? I think that's... Um that's why we want to put Detroit Smart Parking Lab is for people to experiment right, with, with um, whatever they think is going to help their business. Right, there is um, Parking is a, a pain point for 
everybody, right? So it's a, it's a pain point for consumers. It's a pain point for uh, commercial vehicles. It's a pain point for cities, right? So I think this uh, the intent here is to create a place where people can experiment with eliminating that pain point. Yeah, and if I could add to that, you know, regarding you know what you saw last summer with the automated valley parking, you know, the infrastructure provider is a big element of that. And, you know, we think infrastructure obviously is going to have a big impact on automated and autonomous vehicle movement, you know, uh, down the road. Um, but where enterprise comes in is we're pivoting that platform that you saw, the, the um, automated valley parking. That was a, you know, a consumer parking use case. We're going to use the same technology but apply it to a rental car use case and how we can... Um, you know, potentially impact the operations of a rental car company in in moving vehicles around their their operation. You know, in between rentals, when the vehicle needs to be um, cleaned and, and charged or fueled um, before the next rental. So that's the focus of the enterprise project. Yeah. So my understanding is the enterprise has had a, a a program of doing quick turnarounds. Obviously, you know, for a, for a business like that, that you don't want the cars sitting around idle for any longer than necessary. You want to be able to get, you know, customer brings it in, get it cleaned up, fueled, and, and get it back out to another customer as soon as possible because just like aircraft, you know, when they're sitting idle, they're not generating right. revenue for you. Um, so is, uh, is, is Enterprise, uh, I guess, what, what sort of things are they going to do? Are they going to have some, some of their team come in and um, practice you know, doing you know, as vehicles go in and out, you know, practice doing the the things that they would normally do at a at a rental facility, or are they actually going to operate a rental facility out of this garage in Detroit? Or, or we're we're basically going to simulate that vehicle path, um, but with automated vehicle movement, and um, just check the the true feasibility. Can this level of um, automated vehicle movement really fit into the? Um, uh, into their use case, can and it's so it's just a proof of concept. Um, we're working together to you know analyze that to see if all of those steps could could um, uh, have some level of automation to optimize the process on their behalf. So they will be there. Their experts will be there with us to instruct us on how the vehicle should move and what the steps should be. And then we'll work together to figure out if that really is feasible in their environment. And I, I understand, you know, one of the uh, one of the things that they may be looking at as part of this is also automated charging for EVs, um, which actually today, you know, as, as we're talking, uh, is particularly appropriate given that uh, the uh, the Biden administration is supposed to make some announcements today about plans for for future emission standards and, and uh, EV adoption. Um, so, uh, is, is Enterprise going to be doing something around uh, automated EV charging uh, as part of this uh, this test program? It is, yes. That's something that we're going to look at as to, you know, what would the impact be of um, using the technology to move the vehicle to and from a charge station as part of the process. Um, so, we'll do um, a simulation of that in the lab, and then we'll run some analysis to see you know, at the the volume of vehicles that they have um, to, to process at one of their facilities, you know, is that type of charging, you know, going to, to optimize their process or does it need to be done a different way? So it's a, we will take a very good look at that. Process. Will, 
Will the the vehicles that are going to be used all are they going to be the same Ford vehicles that you were using for the test program last year? Or we, we have those two two vehicles available, um, and the the idea is if we if we're taking this next step of automated parking, so that we have automated parking today, but as Kevin said, really the next step needs to involve the infrastructure. Right? So if you're involving the infrastructure, you know, Ford's not going to provide all the infrastructure. Um, properties are going to provide all the infrastructure. So we need to set up standards right, of how the vehicles, the infrastructure are going to interface. And so the vehicle, we will use our vehicles to help understand what that interface is and develop that interface and share that interface right with with others who might want to achieve the same end result so um, as we do that we will undoubtedly end up uh, taking that interface and putting it onto other vehicles other platforms um, is there is there any work going on uh, already uh, in terms of a standards process for something like this to develop standardized interfaces uh, communication protocols or, or anything else there is a project in Germany, um, and it's a cross-industry project. We're both in- involved in that. Um, this would be the first step in the U.S., though. That's correct. Yeah, and um, as part of the um, uh, agreement with ACM, they're going to um, help us establish that standards committee, and, and then you know they will they will um, chair that committee for us. Okay. Is that going to be through SAE or uh, uh, just through just directly led by ACM? Okay. Yep. Um, so what what other potential types of projects do you foresee? You know, what what are kind of what are the sorts of applications do you see possibly being built on this this sort of platform? Yeah. Um, I think um, each of us, you know, Bedrock, Bosch, uh, Ford, we, we have our own ideas, and that was part of the, the open innovation platform. We have to really stress the open part. We all agreed that, you know, anybody can come in there and test, even if it's somebody that, you know, one of us, you know, as our own individual company, you know, may not naturally work with. Um, but we said, look, it's just open, and I think the the breadth of the opportunities, um, it could be something that Bedrock applies that you know physically moves the vehicle around. Maybe it's not you know some level of automation, um, or it could be something associated with the gate system in the garage or cameras in the overhead that you know help watch where the car goes, uh, track the vehicle to see what parking space it goes to. Um, it could be reserving parking spots for a delivery vehicle. Um, and, of course, we will focus definitely on, on EV charging. That's a, that's a big component. So it's meant to be very, very broad, and um, we want people to leverage the grant program that the state of Michigan has made available to us as part of the lab to make applications, and then our team will review all those applications and you know, decide which projects come into the lab. So that team would be um, Bedrock, Bosch, Ford, and ACM? Uh, yeah, in the state of Michigan. In the state of Michigan. Yeah. So how, how much um, funding has the state made available uh, in total for this, or, or is there a specific number? Yeah, I don't want to say that number uh, just yet because I think that that's something that the state would indicate, but it's a it's a pretty significant number. Okay. Um, and... You know, after enterprise, you know, uh, do you when do you expect to see perhaps more partners coming in and, and trying things out uh, at the at the lab? We have a very active pipeline, so there are um, a number of projects that are kind of in the queue, waiting to 
get the application formalized now that it's you know going to be live after today, and then you know we will um, kind of accelerate our evaluation so that we can get the the next projects in. The you know and the idea is that there you know we want multiple projects going on in the lab um, if possible. So if there's you know physical uh, area available and technology platforms in the garage that are available for access, you know, if we can coordinate it, we want multiple projects in, at the same time. Okay, great. What about, um, you know, some of your direct competitors, other OEMs or other suppliers? Um, you know, I, I would assume that, you know, given that part of this process is, you know, developing standards, you, you might actually want some, some of your competitors to come in and, you know, work on things like interoperability. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, that's, I mean, that was um, part of the discussion that we had at the very beginning, right? That, you know, there's, if, when we're talking about the infrastructure being part of the eliminators pain point, there has to be uh, a cross-industry platform, and so we, we hope that this effort, the standards work, um, and having a facility where people can come and test will accelerate that. Yeah. Uh, All are welcome. Yeah. All are welcome. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Bosch has been doing some of the work with the, the automated valet parking in Europe as well, in, in Germany. Um, you know, are, are you also planning to... Um, do something like the the Detroit Smart Parking Lab uh, at a location in Europe is is that part of the plan and you know to, to enable some of the companies over there to uh, participate a little more easily. I mean, I think all of us would be open to that, but right now our focus is here in uh, in the region. Okay. Yeah. Great. But, but uh, I think you know we're going to get significant learnings from from that, and then we'll decide how to you know extend or or scale what we're doing. I think. One thing that's important to note too is um, you know, Heather's here from Bedrock, and they've made this amazing facility available to us. You know, state-of-the-art uh, garage. You got to see it last year, um, so it's a great platform to work from. But you know, we don't want this to only be parking garage-related parking activity. So if there's something that's you know curbside or um, you know something in a surface lot or whatever, we want to test that too. We do have the ability with ACM even to to do things that may not fit into the four walls of the garage. We could, you know, extend out their do, platform. Do, do, do some things at, at Willow Run as well. Yeah, for example. Yeah. But I think, you know, the heart of it is going to be in, in the Bedrock facility. That's um, kind of the linchpin. It's perfectly positioned between downtown and Corktown. So, um, you know, Port of Bedrock have made you know massive investments in those areas, and we feel like we're right at the intersection of those investments. And now we're really going to look together to figure out how to optimize the technology that's available. Yeah, it's part of Bedrock, and as a real estate owner, we're really keenly interested to understand the consumer experience, tenants, uh, you know, residential tenants, commercial tenants, and how we can leverage a smarter parking technology just to make life a lot easier, so people can park when and where they choose to. Uh, the other big piece that we're interested in is really going to be around sustainability and how we can leverage some of these parking technology tests to you know, optimize sustainability within our tests. Yeah, it would make sense for, for a company like Bedrock. You know, you uh, own and manage a, a lot of properties, and you know, especially for you know, for example, for residential properties or, or commercial properties. You know, things like you know, being able to manage uh, charging, you know, either residential or workplace charging for multi-unit dwellings. 
that's you know, as, as we move forward with more EV adoption, that's going to be a big thing. You know, is you know managing that charging infrastructure and um, enabling all of your um, residents, whether it be residential or commercial, to take advantage of that. You know, and, and you know maybe automatically shuffle cars around for them as they get as they get charged or need charging. Yeah, and I think the other piece that we'll be keenly interested is culturally and society begins to shift as we come out of COVID, you know, what does parking utilization look like across all of our portfolio, and are there opportunities to think about using parking uh, decks in non-traditional ways so that we can really take advantage of the space? Those comments, I think, were one of the things that um, made what we did last summer um, so valuable, um, and were catalyze some of the ideas of uh, coming up with the smart parking lab in that the perspectives that Bedrock brought from their customers perspective right and their space utilization really um, saw that there were multiple stakeholders right in eliminating this sort of low speed moving vehicles around problem parking problem and that um, together we could do something better than some of the parts well, any any uh, final thoughts you'd like to, to share about this project and, and maybe you know where where things go in the future? I'm, well, I publicly can tell Bosch and Ford and ACM and some of the partners we've worked so hard for so long. It's been an incredible collaborative journey with a wonderful public-private partnership, which I think is really the secret sauce of the entire thing. That's right, and it's been a, it's been fun. It has been, and I think. Um, you know, once we open the doors, so to speak, I mean, it's obviously not open to the public, but um, once we get some of these demonstrations going, um, you know, one thing to be clear about is I think, you know, with, with ACM as our operating partner, you know, obviously there's a lot of really um, uh, important testing, but also very confidential testing that's going there. The lab has a little bit of a different orientation. You know, I like to, to explain it as almost like a, a trade show floor where we want people to come in and exhibit. So it's, it's testing, but it's also demonstration. And that's where, you know, we go in the direction that Heather was alluding to, where we want to get feedback um, from all those different stakeholders. So, you know, we want the lab to be as open as possible for that sort of thing, too. I mean, we'll, we'll protect the assets that are in there, obviously, and we'll make sure that confidentiality and all that is protected. But it's not, you know, a lockdown proving ground. It's somewhere where we want to be able to design our projects where people can come in and access them. Yeah, and clearly user experience, you know, has to be a key part of, of these kinds of technologies, you know, whether it's individuals that are bringing their car into park, you know, residents or a business uh, like, a, like a rental agency, you know, how, how, how are the employees going to interact with, with this technology and, and get yeah. them the best use out of it. So, And I think that's a very cool thing about the property is you may recall from being there you know behind the assembly garage is the assembly property which is a mixed-use commercial and residential space so we literally have access to those quote-unquote users you know right across the alley so um, it's in a great spot in that regard great well thank you all so much for your time today this has been a fantastic conversation looking forward to see what kinds of interesting results come out of this uh this program. Yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you, Sam. We'll have you uh, have you over once we get going. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. All right. 
All right, let's do some listener questions. William Charles asks, could electric car manufacturers extend range by sacrificing acceleration? Well, they could, or you could just sacrifice the acceleration yourself. You know, the don't be silly. You know, the range is based on <laughs> the range. Yeah. The range is based on you know how, how you, you drive. drive. Um, so you know you don't have to use that acceleration. You know, if your it's car's got six hundred foot pounds of torque, it's, you don't it's have to use it every car. time you accelerate. I, you get better fuel yeah. economy uh-huh. if you're easy on the gas. Yeah, I think be it, easy on that accelerator pedal when it's a I, an EV, and poof, things would be better. Yeah, I think it's, it's I, and I think some of the selling point of the EV uh, initially when you first get it is the fact that it has that low end torque. You're like, <laughs> like that. That is just that. Again, anytime you put someone in an EV, they're going to be like, oh, now I get it. Um, but yeah, you you know just well, after a while, you know, you drive your car. You probably put in eco mode when you're just cruising on the highway. You probably, you know, maybe don't slam on the accelerator when you're cruising around town because you realize, you know, in California, gas is almost five bucks a gallon. <laughs> so Good like, Lord. Yeah. I, I have a picture of like a gas station in L.A. when I was in L.A. for the e-tron drive. And it was like almost six bucks. It was some ridiculous number. I took a picture wow. and I should I should have posted on social media, but I didn't feel like having people yell about how horrible California is. Um, oh, it's six. 19 for super plus at a mobile that's how much it was yeah yeah but that yeah that's sort of the outlier i'll be quiet about my three dollar a gallon gas now i feel like i can't complain much about that (laughs) stop your belly aching ours (laughs) is about 325 here but yeah but what's nice is that or what's not nice is in a car when you take your foot off the the accelerator um you're not making more electricity (laughs) exactly the ev it's like you're doing good stuff like look at this Ooh, i'm making all exactly yeah, you know, so the the thing to remember with an EV and and also for gas cars, but especially for EVs, is your range is going to be you know affected by the three T's: temperature, terrain, and technique. And you know, if it's cold, you're going to get less range, or if it's too hot, you're also going to get less range. If you're driving mountainous regions, you know, you're probably going to get a little less range, although you'll make it up on the downhill side. Um, and Technique, how you drive, you know, if you have a lighter foot on the accelerator. Because the reality is if you put a less powerful motor in the vehicle, it's probably not going to have a huge impact on the range because the way the range is measured is, you know, fairly low levels of acceleration anyway for the EPA testing. And, you know, so basically in the EPA testing, there's a lot of performance that's never getting utilized. So if you don't utilize that performance on the road, you're going to get better range. If you do... You know, if you if you you know are constantly testing the launch controller in your e-tron GT, you're not going to get 235 miles of range. Roberto, but, but you won't care. And also, yeah. Americans aren't going to buy a car with like you know we we have a we have a, a a base level of power we want in vehicles. And every once in a while, a car will come out like a version of a vehicle. I remember there was a version of the Mini that was less powerful, um, but it was much it was cheaper in Europe. And I was like, why don't they bring that here? And Minnie's like, because that Never. would be stupid. No one's going to buy this. It doesn't Nobody's have the power. Gonna, yeah. No one's going to buy the, the cheap, wimpy Mini in the United States. Whereas in Europe, you know, people are like, oh, I'm just driving around town. I just got to get my stuff done. And the American, paying, United States, you know, when you're paying $8 a gallon for gas. Yeah. yeah. In the United yeah. States, everything's a NASCAR race. So. Wait, you mean it's not? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything is a NASCAR race. All right. Coach Cabrera asks, what trim level is the sweet spot when ordering an F-150 Lightning, especially if you want all the driver safety features available? Um, so actually, a lot of the, 
the driver safety stuff is going to be there even on the base trim level, the, the which is actually the pro. Um, but you know, in general, you know, I think anytime you're looking at you know a Ford vehicle or or for for you know most anything, you know, you're lo- the sweet spot is really kind of the mid trim levels. So in the case of the F one fifty Lightning, it's got four trims. You got the Pro, which is the base work truck, the XLT, the the Lariat, and the Platinum. The XLT is probably the, yeah. the best value. Yeah, yeah. I, I think once you get past the XLT, it just gets sort of it's too much. And again, that's that's me personally as a person who thinks trucks are like like hammers, they're tools for for hauling stuff around and scratching up and driving over things and picking up hay. Um, and then <laughs> I get into you. a like I well like I like I do. Um, but then you get into Don't a platinum, and it's like. Yeah, and, and mulch, uh, but then you get into the platinum, and it's so fancy and nice, and lots of people love that, and you know, that's that's wonderful for you. But for me, I'm like, no, this is and way also, too nice because I'm well, going to get all dirty using the truck, and now I'm going to get into this nice interior. And the fancy and mess nice it all up. takes your price from being like, oh, I'm buying a truck to, oh, good lord, I'm buying a truck with every last penny that I have. When you start going for those higher, t- like I now am yeah. eating like I'm eating like a college student, but look at my truck. You know, yeah. you just it, it, they're so expensive you're, when you get to those higher you're levels. You're buying a luxury vehicle with a bed. Yes. Which I you're going to need to sleep yeah. in it because you can't afford your rent anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Joe M. asks, what would you recommend in a retractable hardtop and or overall best year Miata? Trying to get the most bang for the buck. Trying to stay about $10,000. Well, that's getting a lot harder to do with a Miata. Miata prices, like a lot of other older cars, have started to go up quite a bit. Um, but... If you want the retractable hardtop, I would recommend that you take a look at the uh, the third generation because they, they only offered that on the third generation. They've got the RF on the new one, which is a little bit different. But the you know the third generation, the NC Miatas, which were from about 2007, I think, 2006 or seven until uh, like 2014 or 15, um, they had a retractable hardtop option, which... You know, and profile looks just like the soft top, except it's a three-piece hard top that disappears into the same space. It's really nice, um, and uh, I don't think you're going to get one of those for ten grand, but you you probably can find a nice NC for that ten thousand dollar price range. That's probably your best bet. Good luck. Any any thoughts on that? No, I think I, yeah, you're the Miata guy. I was I gonna say that's that's kind of a Sam yeah. question. So yeah, yeah. what Sam I'm, said. <laughs> What well, Sam said, I'm too tall for Miatas, so I don't pay that much attention. Other than I wish I was, I wish they fit tall people. That's my that's my issue with Miatas. I wish they fit tall people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, my my friend who I bought my Miata from, uh, my 1990, he just bought um, a, an NC uh, soft top. Uh, I think it's a 2012, um, and uh, I think he paid about 11 or 12 for it. So. I think you can you can find some higher mileage ones for for that ten grand range, but not with the hard top. Yeah. All right. Chuck Goolsby asks: We just put an offer on a house that may very well be our forever home. Congratulations. The only downside hey. about it is, as far as automobiles go, is that it is at the end of a two plus mile gravel road that is very washboard rutted. 
So we're selling my wife's BMW 5 Series. KBB pegs it at $7,000 more than we paid, <laughs> thanks to those uh, elevated used car prices right now. Um, and I will very likely have to buy an enclosed trailer to shuttle my collector cars up and down to actual pavement when I want to drive them. Uh, I want my winter beater car. I figure my winter beater car, a 2008 Subaru Outback wagon, will become my primary year-round driver, and the M Roadster will only come out like, my, like Sam's first-gen Miata. Uh, what to replace my wife's 535i with? When we met, she was driving a big Lexus SUV, which sadly succumbed to a mule deer buck at 50 Ooh. miles an hour, a constant risk here in central Oregon. So I think a good all-wheel drive SUV or crossover would be best for her. She prefers luxury and, is, and easy tech like CarPlay over performance, and all-wheel drive and great tires will get her up and down our nutty, ruddy mountain road. I'm leaning towards another Lexus or Toyota, open to a Subaru or a Mazda. I do recall you folks uh, raving about one of the Korean SUVs or crossovers lately, but, did, but admit to not paying attention to your discussions around SUVs that I selfishly don't care about that class of vehicle. <laughs> well, you should have listened. We're not answering Remi your question. Never mind. <laughs> Remind me of some better options. So, 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 he would so what would you suggest for Chuck in a, in a nice, in a nice uh, SUV? Uh, with easy to use infotainment um, and uh, some some luxury, you know, some decent level of luxury over performance. Oof, um, I was going to say the X5, but that's probably a little bit too pricey, um, just because they're used to the five series, um, and you can sort of, you know, Apple CarPlay. You're just, you know, it's essentially, you know, it's a five series up off the ground. Um, maybe the Telluride. Oh, I was going to say Telluride. Yeah. I, nice. I think that's probably what he was referring to. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. Either the Telluride or the Palisade. I know he's driving, yeah. like, with the with the BMW thing, he's driving, or his wife is driving a very different vehicle, but I, go drive a Telluride. It, it's not all about performance. It's beautiful inside. It's a good price. It's roomy as heck. It'll, that's, it's, it's, I, I would say Telluride. That would be my first thought. So I'm, uh, so yep. he wants to, he's going to have a, be dragging a trailer with it, so the Telluride has five thousand pounds towing capacity, which I think should be fine. What's, be... what's, what's he rolling around in? What's his? In the 08 Outback. No, but his L M Roadster. Maybe oh. he'll be. Oh, but he has some collector yeah, he's cars. He's got an M Roadster. I shuttle my collection cars up and down to actual yeah. pavement when I want to drive them. Um, yeah, I think that would be fine because he's just kind of. It sounds like he's just. He's, yeah. Yeah. Telluride. Give it. A, give it a go. Give it a chance. Drive it around, see, see if you like it. And, it, and it. and if she wants something a little more classic, classically luxury flavored, you know, then the Palisade would be the other alternative. Yeah. So either the Palisade or the Telluride. Although I think the Telluride is more in keeping with the, the Central Oregon vibe. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I like that. Between the two, I go Telluride, but drive both of them. See what you think. See what she likes the look of, yeah. the feel of, the comfort of, and, and but definitely give them both a shot. When I, I, I speaking okay. of towing, when I was in Germany, uh, I don't know, whenever that happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was someone uh, uh, towing a single horse trailer. So it's the horse trailer for one horse with a Subaru Legacy wagon. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Well, like, Excellent. See, you don't need the big giant. You don't like, need a you truck. Know, you don't need a 1500 Ram or 2500 Ram to tow your one horse. You just need a Subaru Legacy wagon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're one horse. Just one horse? Get a Subaru. <laughs> yeah, just get the Subaru Legacy wagon. 
Uh, okay. Uh, finally, Adam Jordison asks, uh, here's the backstory. Family of five, all three kids are preteen age, so no more car seats, thankfully. Uh, we bought a 2012 Chrysler Town & Country in November of 2011, but it only has 60,000 miles on it right now. That's, wow. that's low mileage for a 10-year-old Town & Country. Yeah. Uh, here's the question. What is the outlook for three-row electric vehicles on dealer lots by the end of 2022? Would a PHEV be the best option? I'm not going to I'm not going to go and try and purchase a vehicle this year because of the current state of inventory at dealerships and potential for markups. However, I was curious about the marketplace, uh, how the marketplace outlook, how the marketplace may look in 18 months. Um, so, I mean, if you like a minivan, you like the the yeah. town and country. Obviously, uh, obviously, I would definitely consider Pacifica. the Pacifica yeah. plug-in hybrid. Yeah, Pacifica yeah. plug-in hybrid. Uh, you got a lot of kids. Yeah. I don't know if it, uh, I don't know where he lives. Where does he live? Does it say? He didn't say. Okay, he so does not say. Um, I'm gonna say that's the yeah the Pacifica the plug-in hybrid would probably be best for right now that er, 2022, just because I don't know where if you live in California and if there if there is an EV available at the end of 2022 with that then yeah go for it but if you live in like Ohio, get the get the PHEV. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm not. I mean, there there are gonna be a bunch of three-row electric crossovers coming. Uh, whether they'll actually be available for sale by the end of 22 or sometime in 2023 uh, mm. is not clear. Um, you know, if if you see, if you can is the wait, Fisker to Ocean 20- a three row. I don't. What's that? The Fisker Ocean. The Fisker oh. Ocean. Rebecca, paging call, Rebecca. I think, I think it's call a two Rebecca row. and ask her. You know, you know what he can <laughs> do is wait an extra year and get the uh, the ID Buzz. Mm. Get the yes. electric. Yeah, in twenty three, uh, you get the you get the buzz just, on sale just here. Just wait an extra year because you you still got sixty thousand miles. So by twenty twenty three, this one. He's by twenty twenty three, he'll it'll he'll be at eighty thousand miles. <laughs> I don't understand if he's a twenty twelve. And, and clearly, you know, if if they've accumulated sixty thousand miles over ten years, you know, they're they're totally not driving long distances with this thing, so. You know, an EV is going to be a great option. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you can wait till 23, get the ID Buzz. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, get the, the, the Pacifica, Pacifica Hybrid. Your kids will be so stoked if you get that as opposed to... I, I, I love minivans. I think minivans are amazing and awesome, but I don't know any teenagers who are like, yeah, minivans. But if you uh, if you had an ID Buzz, you'd, you'd be, be the cool. cool... Every time your kids would want you to drop them off in front of the school instead of down the street. So if you want to be the cool parent, I'm just saying... That's what you need to do is you need to wait till 2023. 2023, Adam. Be the cool parent. There you go. <laughs> and with that, we're all done. We're out of questions for this week. Yay. Oh, Woo-hoo. and that's it. I, that sounds weird when I say yay. Right. Question. <laughs> like I'm <laughs> celebrating. People just like, ah, we're done with you. <laughs> it's late. It's late it here. Late. Anyway. It's so. late. It's late. All right. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.